Well, good morning. It's a great joy for Elizabeth and me to be with you. As, as uh, Kim said, we've been partners together for over 20 years. And yet I know some of you haven't been here that whole time. And it's a joy to meet new friends as well as see old friends again. And Elizabeth and I want to begin just by telling you how much we appreciate our partnership with you through the years. Not just your prayers and your financial support, but the way you have been the bulwark you have been in this community in Andover and North Andover through the years. We're, we're going to get an opportunity today on Mission Sunday to kind of helicopter up and see the broader world a little bit, uh, just like you could if you looked on one of those apps when you go like this instead of like this, and you suddenly see all the surrounding area. But if you helicopter down at any point in the world, what you find is that authentic Christian community lived out 110 hours a week is what it's all about everywhere. God wants to see his community, the community of, of his people established everywhere on earth so that the glory of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea, the scripture says. And, and so we'll talk a little bit about that today. But without the authenticity of what you live here and the way that you are doing it here in this community, uh, that's all there is. There, there's nothing magic about global mission. Global mission is helping everyone, everywhere, enjoy what you enjoy here. And so that's what we're about. Um, but just to kind of bring you up to date on our journey through the years, Elizabeth's going to give you a, running, a run through 20 years, and then I'll be back to talk about what we're doing now, and, and especially about the great things that God's doing in the world. Thank you, honey. Well, it was 21 years ago. Uh, we were in Arlington, Massachusetts at the church we had pastored there for 22 years, working on Harvard campus uh, and, and in the Arlington area, doing just what you all are doing, planting a, a vital community of people who love the Lord and wanted to reach out to the people around them. And uh, we actually got our missions training at Harvard, uh, unbeknownst to them, and uh, reaching, reaching across uh, cultural lines <laughs> to uh, bring people there to, to know Jesus Christ and actually took our language training there. So we, we took Russian before we moved over to God had opened our eyes to the need of the Muslim world conveniently just at the time when the Soviet Union broke up and Muslim post-Soviet Central Asia opened up to the gospel for the first time in, oh, about 1,300 years. And so it was just too good a chance to pass up. So uh, we, we, had five, we have five kids. Uh, one was in college, one just graduated from high school and went for a gap year with us when we moved. One was in junior high, one was in elementary school, and we had a preschooler. So we covered the gambit, we gave away the dog, the cat, rented the house, sold virtually everything we owned, and, uh, and did this crazy thing in our mid-40s. Moved to uh, Tashkent, Uzbekistan to help plant churches alongside Jesus film teams and campus ministry there. Well, it was an adventure and we went as learners. And you know, that's a great thing about being in ministry and all of us are in ministry, right? We get to go into that as learners. We get to ask questions. We don't go in as experts. I'm not an expert in anybody's life. They are. So if I'm gonna enter their life with the gospel, I, I start from ignorance. 
And, and I start in humility. What a relief, because I'm not an expert. I know I'm not an expert. Well, so we, we went to a place we really weren't experts in, which was a, a Muslim country, and so we asked a lot of questions, and amazingly, God opened doors, and people start coming to know the Lord in that context. Some of our dearest friends are still, our, our former, former Muslims, still working in Uzbekistan under very difficult circumstances. Well, we were there for about four years, bore more fruit than we had any right to expect because of God's grace and thanks to your support. And uh, on October the 4th, at about four in the morning, just another, another day in the life, I woke up and I saw the shadow of a man standing in our bedroom doorway. And I thought maybe Eric had been sick and I didn't hear him get up on a light sleeper, that was odd. And then I looked again and there were now two men standing in the doorway. And this sense of evil just came over me, not fear, interestingly, but evil, like the devil himself was in our bedroom. And I called out to Eric, who was asleep next to me, Eric, wake up, they're here! Like they were late dinner guests or something. <laughs> and no sooner were the words out of my mouth than the first blow struck. These men were dressed in black running suits. They had on ski masks, gloves, and they were carrying the Al-Qaeda affiliate weapon of choice, which was the hatchet. And and typically what they did with the hatchet was beat you senseless and then cut your head off. Well, I just knew I was getting beat like with a baseball bat. That's what it felt like. And over and over, and I'm, I'm just crying out to the Lord. And Eric is crying out to the Lord on the other side of the bed. And it just kept going on. And uh, finally, after a long conversation with God that I won't tell you about right now, but ask me later, um, I was finally unconscious. And I remember waking up in the dark, by this time on the floor, my head's killing me, my arm's killing me, with good reason. I, was, I had broken bones, four, three skull fractures, my arm was fractured, I had facial fractures, and I'm bleeding, and I just thought, I'm, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. And it was quiet. I couldn't see anything and I kept calling out and that was the lowest point of the event for me. I thought that Eric and our two little girls who were the only ones of our kids by that time living with us in Uzbekistan, I thought they were all dead. And then I heard the sound of someone coming in the house and I just said shaking, you can imagine. I thought they're, you know, they're coming to finish me off. But it was my husband. He had found the girls, the little girls who had their own experience of being threatened, mercifully were not injured but they had hidden in a shed out in the back of the yard. So Eric had found them and taken them to the neighbors and came back to find me on the floor. And I was in and out of consciousness. He was also badly injured, but he was mobile. I was not mobile. And at one point when I came to, he was kneeling beside me and he said, honey, someday you're gonna look back at this as the best day of your life. <laughs> all those stories I had read about people who suffered for the name of the Lord. And I thought, he's absolutely right. What a privilege. Well, to make a long story short, eventually we were airlifted out of the country. They thought I needed neurosurgery. And, um, 
all of many of you prayed for us. Many people prayed for us around the world and mercifully ended up not needing neurosurgery, but that was enough to get the insurance company to get us the amazing little Learjet. And we got airlifted out of the country. You can imagine our relief to get out of there because we didn't know who this was. They didn't sign the guest book, so we didn't have names. Um, but we were frightened, badly, badly frightened. And I remember coming to as the plane was lifting off the tarmac in Tashkent, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, you're not finished here. You need to come back. And inexplicably, that news brought me such joy because I knew the next step. Isn't that all we all need is just the next step? Well, Eric went back within a month of that day. Uh, after he got me to the US, and uh, we came back to the Boston area, and people took care of us. It was a, a blessing. And uh, the girls and I were in the US for about 10 months while we were recovering, I from my physical injuries and all of us from the trauma. And then we went back, just in time for 9-11, which when you're living 350 miles due north of Kabul, Afghanistan, was kind of scary place to be. But in God's mercy, that opened up Afghanistan. And Eric spent about a third of the next six years in Afghanistan. So we had these amazing adventures because God lifted our eyes to see the world. And, and then eventually he was arrested and charged with proselytizing and mercifully found guilty. He always says, what would I do on the last day if they hadn't found me guilty? Lord, I'm sorry, not enough evidence to convict. <laughs> That moved us out of Uzbekistan, and our organization, part, our parent organization, crew, called us to serve in our area office in, in France, working in North Africa, Middle East, Central Asia, in the Muslim world, and then eventually, five years ago, to Orlando to take over leading the Jesus Film Project. So our eyes have really been lifted to the whole world. And what we get to do now is, among other things, travel around and see what God is doing around the world. So I'll pass the baton to Eric to share some of that with you. Thank you. So the scriptures that we read this morning talk about the relationship between God's love for everyone in the world and his return. The one in Matthew 24 says that he will return when every people has had an opportunity to hear. And the one in, in Peter says that he's not slow concerning his promise, but he's patient with us because he doesn't want anyone to die without having an opportunity to repent and come back to him. The whole purpose of Jesus for coming into the world was to give everyone an opportunity to come back to God and be reconciled to him for time and for eternity. And so at the Jesus film, we have the opportunity of playing a small part in, a, in what God is doing in a lot of places. And part of the reason for that is we took a movie on the Gospel of Luke, it's just straight out of Scripture, and we've translated it into 1,500 languages. And that covers most of the people in the world, although we're going to do another probably 200 languages ourselves, and we have a partner organization who say they want to do another 5,000 after that so that literally everybody has a film in their language. 
But uh, we believe that everyone should have the opportunity to hear the message that God sent Jesus to bring, that God wants to reconcile everyone to himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, to hear that in their own language. You know, Jesus didn't speak English. You ever think of that? And yet someone brought us the message in our language. And, and so we have a, that small part to play in not only making the, the films, but in helping people around the world strategize about how to use them. In starting groups that will occupy every community on earth with vital believers in touch with God who by their lives and by their words are sharing his message with everybody in their world. We think it takes about a group for every thousand people across the face of the earth. And so there are about seven billion people in the world today, about two billion professing Christians, about five billion who have not come to know Jesus. And so with, with about 60 other organizations, we've strategized and, and, and partnered to try to plant a group Five million new groups to reach that five billion people. One church or small group, vital group of Christians, if it's in a historical church context and they don't call it a new church plant, whatever it is, a group of a vital Christian community for every thousand people on earth. And, and the amazing thing is we live at a time when that's not crazy. In fact, when we sat down with our team and planned it out and cost it out, we believed that in 10 years, we could well see a time when everyone on earth has had an opportunity to hear the gospel. Most of them through face-to-face -face ministry. Most of it done by people who live in their own countries or adjacent countries. Because God is doing amazing things in the world. Don't be discouraged and think that we're losing as, as followers of Jesus Christ. There may be some discouraging things going on in America. Go to southern or eastern Africa. Go to parts of Latin America. Go to much of Asia. The gospel is booming in historic ways, never before has the world seen anything like this. Probably the, the story of the 20, 20, early 21st century would be, would be southern and eastern Africa. And the incredible revival that's going on there and, and the sending that's going on from those parts of the world that are experiencing uh, a fresh move of God's Spirit in addition to our own countries that are still holding our own. We're still doing a, a, a lot of the work as well from here in America and from places in Europe where wherever the gospel is vital and strong, we're in the process of sending from everywhere to everywhere. So, uh, Jesus Film, I get to travel around and see how the strategy's going in a lot of places in the world. And, and, and we're in every country uh, working with a vast group of partners because of Jesus Film is just Luke. It's not anybody's spin on Luke. No denominational theology. We work with pretty much every Christian group. And so I want to tell a few stories that illustrate what we're seeing as we go around. The, the first two are from India. They're from central India. I understand that there'll be a group going from here to northern India at some time in the next year. Excuse me just a second. <coughs> This cold weather after being in Florida has got my voice a little tight. So uh, in India, we work with a number of church planning organizations, about 16 of them. One of them is our own crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, church planning organization. And they have a strategy to get pairs of two that, had, that, that adopt 30 different villages 
and plant a group in each of the villages. So this first young man on the screen is, is a young man named Meshach, who one of the villages he adopted as part of his 30. Young guy, uh, it was a gypsy village, a low caste village outside uh, a city in central India. And he decided he was going uh, to go share the gospel with those folks using the Jesus film. 27 of the, of the first 30 families he showed it to decided they wanted to be disciples of Jesus. I don't think any of them had heard the gospel before. And, and so my job when I showed up, they, they would tell me in the car on the way what we were going to talk about when, when, when I got to the next village. I don't know how many villages we saw, probably 20, 25, over about a five-day period of time. So you're going to dedicate a church in this village. Brand new church, new believers. And it's just a simple structure, a lean-to on the side of a, of a house. And, and these are the faces I saw. Unbelievable uh, attention. And, and so the translator says to me, brand new believers don't know anything. Share something really simple. So I said, well, Lord, what should I say? And what came to me was a scripture that says, uh, to those that received him who believed in his name, to them he gave the power to become children of God. So I share that scripture. And they start looking at each other and jabbering and clapping. They broke out into applause. And, and so I'm thinking, wow, I realized they never heard that. And the idea that they had had the right to become children of the creator of the universe was so exciting to them. I, I, I would unpack it a little bit with a phrase, and the translator would say the phrase, they break out the applause again. And every one of them came up for a blessing afterwards, so excited about their new faith. And I never tire of going to places like this where they've never heard before. I love to watch the Jesus film with people, even if I don't understand the language it's in, who have never heard of the resurrection. Now, we see the resurrection, we think, oh, I wonder how they're going to portray it this time. They don't know what's going to happen. And the joy on their face, the wonder... When they see that God raised Christ from the dead, you know, these are such exciting things to people that don't know them. So, another story I heard in India the next day was the, the young man and his wife that you see on the screen. You see on his arms a crisscross scars, big, thick scars. He's been a believer now for several years, but before he was a believer, he was a hopeless alcoholic. He worked in the city, which... Many of the people who live in that city work in the leather industry, and they work in factories where they work hard and they don't make much money, and their life is hard, and he was just depressed. And he drank continually. Our pastor friend began to share the gospel with him, showed him the Jesus film. And during that process, he, he became uh, poisoned with alcohol poisoning, went into a coma, and was taken to the hospital. Pastor goes in, shares with him again, prays for him, and God heals him, raises him up. So here comes this guy, notorious for his lifestyle and for his suicidal behavior, back to work in the factory, and pretty much the whole factory. He had everybody's attention. And a number of them immediately became believers, including this young woman who's with them, who was from a Muslim family. And so now, you've got this thing going on. She, comes, she becomes a believer. They fall in love, and you, in their village, or their, their neighborhood, You've got this, this thing going on where you've got a former Hindu and a former Muslim, both now claiming to be disciples of Jesus Christ and saying they're going to get married. I wish I could tell the whole story, but uh, the, the town became 
enraged and there was a whole deal where they locked him up for a while. But look at him, beautiful young Christian family. Now leading a group of believers who have come to Christ because of what God did in his life. We had the privilege of being in Africa recently in the country of Tanzania. And the way that we work in Tanzania is we're doing a number of languages in the Mara region up near Lake Victoria. Uh, and, and we're getting the translation done by Wycliffe Bible translators who are working on a cluster of languages. As soon as they get Luke done, they give us the language. We make the Jesus film. And we're approaching, we've, we've hired two guys through our crew ministry uh, who, who approach the pastors and all the denominations in that area. There are nine different denominations all across the board from Pentecostal up through High Church Anglican. And, and all of them have agreed to, to, this, to, to this offer. What if we gave you the Jesus film and the language of that village and trained some of your people to go there and share it would you be willing to plant a church there? Now, these are churches that have penetrated the towns, but they've never gotten out to the smaller towns and the villages. But now with a little incentive, a little motivation, and especially with a tool they can use, they're going, and we saw four generations of churches, over 200 churches in this area, a church that starts a church that starts a church that starts a church. This is one of the leaders, uh, a young man named uh, uh, Michaela. He, uh, he and his family were just good old folks living in their town, but they had begun worshiping this snake who would come into their, their house, their home, and, and they associated the snake with good luck, with good things happening. Well, he watches a Jesus film, becomes a believer, watches this follow-up film series we have that shows the issues that an African deals with when they become a believer from a village context, and he decides, we ought to quit worshiping this snake. So he shows the film to his family, and, uh, and they decide, we're going to be followers of Jesus. It's no more the superstition stuff, no more the snake stuff. And the snake comes in their house. The wife gets sick, the kids get sick, and, and so they've, they've, they're engaged in this spiritual warfare. So after, after they made it clear that they were believers, the snake came back to the house, and he said, in the name of Jesus, leave, and he killed the snake. And his wife got well, his kids got well, and now he's got the attention of his whole village and another group is flourishing there. Finally, uh, a fourth story I'll tell you is about a young man named Gama, who uh, is a very cultured, uh, Hispanic Mexican from Mexico City, uh, classical musician playing in the National Orchestra in the capital city of the country, whose aunt challenged him to take the Jesus film to small villages of Mayans uh, in the Yucatan. It, it would be like us going from Andover to, gosh, I don't know, Appalachia or the toughest neighborhood in Boston. Cross-cultural for him, but still closer cultural than we would be. He can do things that we can't do coming from North America or further in North America, Anglo-America. So, so uh, he's got a group of young disciples he's trained uh, they go in, they do a clown show, they draw a whole village. Every Friday night and Saturday night, all year long, they go into a village of they probably average five, six hundred people, uh, and then they show either the women's Jesus film or the children's Jesus film, and every time, about half the village decides to become disciples of Jesus. He's working with existing pastors there and other people that he's calling in to start groups. 
and seeing incredible results all over the Yucatan. So these are examples of how we work and the things we get to see. But the thing I want to encourage you with is that everywhere God is at work and language makes a difference. You know, if you wonder how this could, could work in Andover, uh, we have an app, uh, a mobile app, telephone app. This is a card which you can find out on the table that tells you how to download it. But you could just go to your app store and type in Jesus Film and, and, and get the app on your phone. And, you know, 20% of Americans don't speak English at home. Whenever I hear someone in, in Walmart or taxi cab or in my normal life speaking in an accent, with an accent, I say to them, boy, you have a beautiful accent. Thank you for learning English. Because I know how hard it is to learn a language and speak a second language in a different country. I say to them, you have a beautiful accent. What's your first language? Well, my first language is, I don't know, the Ga language. Where are you from? Ghana. Ga? I think I've got a film in Ga on my phone. And they'll say, well, that's crazy. There aren't any films in Ga. And I say, no, let's look. And then there's a map you'll see on the app, and you just two, two clicks, and you find the Ga language. Click again, and they'll play a short clip from the Jesus film. And, and you can email it to them uh, and begin a relationship. Email the whole film to them, a, a link to the whole film. Begin a relationship with them and, and talking about uh, Jesus using the app. So, hey, we live in a world that is, is multi-languaged. Uh, and, and so we at the Jesus Film, that's what we do. When, the, when it says in Scripture, every tribe and language and people and nation will, will be around the throne the language part is what we specialize in. But what a privilege it is to be a part of the great things God is doing in the world. And we live in a time when because of, of the growing movements of Christians around the world and because of technology, it really is possible that within our lifetimes, we will see Matthew 24, 14, 2 Peter 3, 9, the, the work of God in this age brought to completion in the return of our Lord. If we don't, let's work until then to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to come to know him. Amen?